Don't you see how there's an opportunity for joy to be released in your heart by the humility of God? Humble yourself to receive his humble love. Welcome to First Presbyterian Church of San Francisco's Sermon Podcast. This is a message from our worship service on Sunday mornings in downtown San Francisco. This podcast is a ministry of our church, and we're praying it's useful for you and for the kingdom, for the praise of His glory. Today's scripture is from John 14 and John 15. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away, and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced, because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. Get up, let's go from here. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to the God our Father. I uh, had a very sweet kind of experience of Christmas when I was a kid. Uh, Do other people have fond memories? Of childhood, I, I, my mom did it up. You know, it just, uh, she really did it up beautifully. Uh, there would be in every window, there would be um, ropes of of fur, you know, of the uh, fir trees, and and uh, and then she would uh, cut doilies. That was her thing: was to cut and paste doilies into a long chain, and then wrap the tree. And one of the one of the joys that I had was my grandmother, her mother, my mom's mom, was an antique dealer. So because of that, we had ornaments from 100, 120 years old. 
In fact, we had those little, and, and she would still use, even until recently, the little um, tags, uh, these little Victorian tags that would have the, the, the Christmas greetings. And they were always, they're always wrapped with images of holly and, uh, and mistletoe and, and ghosted with, with, with gilded with gold. And they're just beautiful. <laughs> they're beautiful. And I remember little houses and it was all very, very romantic. And I mean romantic with a capital are. It's this, it was kind of blessed and, and, and beautiful. And, uh, but I remember when I first realized, though, that we were poor. Like, I, I, don't, I never thought about being poor at Christmas until I remember one Christmas where I wanted a watch. I had never had a watch before. I wanted a watch. I had asked for a watch. I wanted it was what I wanted more than anything in the world. I must have been about 10 or 11. And, and of course, the, the mystical, wonderful mystery of Christmas was kind of sweet. And, and I was so excited and bursting with joy. And I was always early down in the morning, you know, first thing and all that, all that excitement. And, I, and I, that, summer, that, that Christmas, I'm sorry, when I opened the watch, and I remember opening it up and I looked at it. I can still remember it. It was kind of like at a checkered kind of blue uh, background on the face. And I looked at it. And I knew it was cheap. I knew it was a cheap watch. I just looked at it and realized that this was not what I wanted. Like I just suddenly was realized that this was all my mom and dad could afford. Some $20 watch, Timex. And I'm looking at it and I, I knew enough to know that this was a cheap watch. And I didn't want to wear it to school. I didn't want to see it. I was embarrassed. I felt disillusioned and I felt humiliated in my desire even. Have you ever had, you expect so much, something beautiful, magical, wonderful, Christmassy, and then I'm just poor. Yeah. I, I still love Christmas. <laughs> I, still love, I still love it all. But, but I, I tell you, I think I, I think I saw something in that. I think it saw something, or we could, if we, hearing my story, I think we can see past some of that, the, some of the uh, um, romanticism to the story, because a lot of a lot of Christmas energy is spent around the, like the nativity to polish a turd. Oh wait, wait did I just say that? Yes. We may say, well, Chris, that sounds disrespectful. No, 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 no. You are polishing something very ugly when you try to make it seem good that a baby was sitting in a food trough. And if you don't think Mary was embarrassed by that, you're not paying attention. You're not thinking that she didn't have any Christmas joy. She didn't have any, she was, this was, what was this? They're not even home. They can't even stay at the house. They're, there's no place for them. They're, they're outside. They're, they're, in the st- they're in the stall. And there's nothing romantic about it. There's no, <laughs> there's no mom going, oh, this is wonderful. This is like what I dreamed of. Giving birth to my baby to the smell of manure. There you have it. And, 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 and the story, it's just, it's just not glamorous, guy. It's just not. But I think... If we're paying attention, we're, there's, a better, there's a better story than the Christmas, gilded Christmases of holly and beautiful fake snow and, and fur and the smells. Those are all beautiful. Wassail, all that beautiful stuff. All that's wonderful. I don't think I have any problem with it at all. But, but we, maybe we can see past it and we can claim Mary's joy. Mary's joy. Because if we, we just read one of her, one of her songs... We read one of her praises, and she 
is to the moon with joy. So is Elizabeth's, and it's Christmas joy, isn't it? It's Advent joy. Well, maybe we can track on that. What is the secret of Mary's joy? I think we'll find what it is. This week we are looking at this particular text because it informs, it informs the nativity. It informs the Christmas spirit. And it's this strange verse. Uh, one of the things I like to do is I like to find in the text the one verse that doesn't make sense. The one verse that's got theological problems. And this is it. Do you, and do you notice what the theological problem is? Perhaps you don't yet. If you loved me, he says to the disciples, they're worried, confused. He's discussing his departure. They don't know what's happening. They're kind of in the dark. This Christmas is no Christmas to them. And if, uh, and I guess this isn't Christmas. This Easter isn't even Easter to them. Um, sorry. So if you loved me, you would have rejoiced. You'd be like Mary, right? Because I'm going to the Father. And, what, and for the Father, this is the, this is the clause here that we're going to focus on. For the Father is what? Greater than I. Well, if you don't sense a theological problem with that, you're not paying attention. In fact, this verse became some of the stuff, some of the ammunition, some of the fodder, some of the, it was a proof text for people that wanted to deny that Jesus Christ claimed to be God. This is a proof text for denials of the majesty and the beauty of Jesus Christ. Because they can, and, and this is a problem. And I, I want to explore the problem because I, I want you to feel the problem because it's a real problem. How does our theology accommodate this kind of statement from Jesus? The Father is greater than I. If we understand the claims of Trinity or the claims of Christ himself, we will be challenged by this kind of statement. So, I, so I'm here to tell you about the ontological and economic trinity today. But don't be afraid. That's not, that's not, it's as scary as that says, I don't want you to be scared yet. Don't be scared. Be scared later. Okay. But then why is this a problem? All right, well, let's take a look. Let's take a look. Let's look at Christ's words. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Christ named himself as God. He took the precious, secret, private name of Yahweh and said, that is me. He took the I am that I am that appeared to Moses and said, that is me. <laughs> he takes the name of God. Then he identifies with God personally and individually. So he takes the name and then he takes the identity. I and the Father are one. He reaches in to the concept of what God is as Trinity and says, look, I'm, I'm equal to him. We are, what else would oneness mean? What else would it imply? What else would it bring us to? So he, he uses the name of God. He identifies with God personally as, as one with him. And then he says, that then in 28, 2028, when Thomas sees him after the resurrection and probes, he, he pokes his little finger in the hands, pokes his hand. Ooh, it's kind, of, kind of gives me chills. Thomas answered him, my Lord, my God. He actually says he fell down and worshiped him. What is happening here? Christ daily is claiming the name and the identity. He is claiming worship as his due. That's a big deal in the Bible. When somebody lets you worship them, you're not supposed to do that. Nobody's supposed to, they're not supposed to worship anybody but God. And so when angels are somehow mistakenly worshiped, they immediately correct the person. Don't do that. Get up. 
Almost, you could almost hear the fear in the angel's voice for themselves, let alone the person. <laughs> no, 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 don't do that. Don't ever do that, right? Christ accepts worship. That's a problem. He's God. And those, those three claims are his own words. Let's look at a theological statement, a theological, an abstract and very profound theological articulation of who Christ is. Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. It's his eternity. So I ask you again, having taken all this data up front, how can he say this? John 14, 28, the father is greater than I. That's the problem in a nutshell. It's kind of digesting it for you so you can see it and you can hear it. And so you can think through it with me. And what we have here is something beautiful, though. And if we'll, we'll be able to see it, oh, gosh, Holy Spirit, I didn't ask for you to, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, helper and teacher, help me and teach me and help and teach my people, all of us together at your, at your feet. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so we cried on the Holy Spirit because I want you to understand this. The Father is greater than I is your hope. The Father is greater than I is his claim to be something greater than the universe can handle. And when he says the Father is greater than I, he is saying something of unimaginable beauty that makes Christmas flower with, with gorgeous warmth and love. For we are witnesses to, we are partakers in, we are recipients of the grace that flows from the humility of God. It is the humility of God. Now, the eternal trinity... Uh, this is your theological lesson for the day. In the first 300 years of the church, men arose and quoted John 14, 28 and said Jesus wasn't God. So other men rose up and said, you're wrong. <laughs> and they hammered out those scriptures. The scriptures I just showed you, they went over these kind of scriptures and many more. And they tried to come up with a way of understanding it. And it's very beautiful and it works. God is the same yesterday, today, forever, right? Eternity past, eternity now, and eternity future. There is an eternity past, a timeless trinity. God has no beginning. God does not change. God is three persons, equal in power and glory, the living creator. He is not one with his, his creation. He is not one with the universe. He is in, in and of himself, eternally, world without end. Amen and amen. <laughs> Praise him. So he is. There is no, there is no, greater or lesser between the Father and the Son and the Spirit there. This is the timeless trinity. But something happens. The creator gets invested into the, into the creation. The working trinity is called. Sometimes this is called the economic trinity. Sometimes this is called the ontological trinity. If you want to impress your friends at work. And, and anyway, uh, but so... But the working trinity, God humbles himself. And now you begin to hear it. See, something is happening that eternity can't quite describe to us when we hear about it. Something has happened. Something has come out of eternity and submits itself to the warp and the woof and the pain of space and time. Somehow the humility of being dirt, mud, and having a nose that runs and a butt you got to wipe. I'm serious. All this stuff, this is all true. What is it? This is the work God humbles himself. You see, the three persons of the Trinity now take different roles in saving us. And I want you to love this. This is so beautiful because you know what we get? All of God 
for all of us, <laughs> for all that we have. We have all of God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, active and engaged and working together. And as they work together, Christ humbles himself to his Father for us and then to us. Then finally, the Trinity is forever with us and then God has no end. All things are made new. The three persons are now forever joined to us as persons, face to face. So we're in this bit right here. And in this bit right here, eternity now, where eternity is penetrating space and time, God is what? He's humbling himself. What else does it mean? And the early fathers, by about the third century, really were able to say this now. They were able to get how those texts can be woven together, you see. And, and they got that there was a clue here as to the depths of his love and the depths to which he would go and the way his love would mean it would take his trajectory right down into our mess and to a cross and to a tomb and then out. Praise him. Yes, we believe in the humility of God. How do we understand this? This is first the theology and the attitude. And I want, we're going to read this. Philippians 2 is extremely important for understanding John 14, 28. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in who? The Spirit. Remember, the Spirit's the helper doing and remembering all this stuff right there. Any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord, and of one mind. So there's a unity he points out here. Now, how are we going to get to unity? Here it is. It's humility. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant, more important than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Okay, good, good, good. good. We're going to revisit that because that's, that's the moral implication of the humility of God, where you enact that humility. But before we get there, let's look at five. And finally, having this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God, a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. This is the word kenosis. This is the word of just pouring out what's in the cup. Is emptying himself of, every, of this of prerogative, of glory, of, of splendor. It's this act of, of, of death, right? What is that but death to be empty like that? In other words, there's a death in Christ just becoming a baby. You get it? He was empty. He was dying to his glory. He was dying to his grandeur. He's dying to his eternity in a sense by living in the meat and the muscle and the, and the smell and the dust and the sweat of this world. Very powerful. He emptied himself. Taking on the form of what? A slave. That's the word, the doulos word. Can't make this pretty. He humbled himself, and he actually. And we talk about this. I remember uh, the uh, catechism question: Where consists the humility of Christ? His humiliation of Christ. The humiliation of Christ consists in his being born, <laughs> just being born, and that in a lowly condition, undergoing all the miseries of this life, even death itself. Oh, <sighs> and he humbled himself. Now, get this: I'd never saw this before, but the, you know what the etymology of the word "humbled" is in Greek? Flat. Something about that. <laughs> it's just like eternity just went. <laughs> lowly, flat, insignificant, weak, little. 
That's what he did. By becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross, therefore God has exalted him and bestowed on in the name above every name. So that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. That's worship in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus is Christ is Lord. That's the word for God in the Old Testament to the glory of God, the Father. What do we have on play here? It's kind of, it's the attitude of God. What we have is really his attitude. What his, the humility of God begins in his attitude, his perspective on himself and us, and his, and his rejecting all of the privilege he has to identify with the, the meanness of us, the, 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 the truth of us, the, the truth of our lives, and truth of our experience. What the attitude of humility in God is stunning. But let's go even further. Let's look at the humility of God in Jesus. Sure, it's good to have a humble attitude. Let's look at it in action. He gives us stuff. You know, it's kind of funny. I don't know if you realize this, but somebody who like gives to delivers you things, it's really the giving here is delivery. Uh, the delivery, and it's just delivering to you something to you. Do you realize how humble, pick, humble I'm, gonna deliver, I'm delivering this. This is Christ's entire attitude as the king of heaven. It gets better. What does he also, how does he live? He doesn't even, he does what he's told. You see that? That's a humble position he takes inside the Trinity. And for us, I do what the father says. He's, a, he's simply somebody under authority as it were. And that's how he's operating in this world. This is like a servant. Then he takes servant words. What I mean is, <laughs> can you think of something? I, I look, there's, there's nothing boast about saying, I am like a vine. Really? Couldn't you think of a better image? Something a little bit more victorious, triumphant, big, glorious, fun, strong. There's nothing strong about a vine. There's nothing independent about a vine. There's nothing, a vine doesn't even produce anything. Uh, but he says, no, I'm like a vine. Then, then the father calls himself this. I'm like a vine dresser. I'm a pruner. Hey, look, we're, we're paying tons and tons of workers in, in Napa and Sonoma to go in those fields and do what? Clip, 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 clip. Not one of them owns a vineyard. Nobody owns the vineyards out there doing that, are they? No, they're paying the help. They're playing the workers because that's the lowest position. What does our father describe himself for you, Scott? The lowest position. Praise him. Praise him. He prunes. He's a pruner. Not very glamorous. He's a washerman. He, this, is, this is not grand. This is not grand descriptions. He's a washer scrubbing you. Who washes other people? The lowest people in our society do that kind of work. Do you hear it? Because I hear it now. In fact, as I was kind of like singing through the text, it gets him, the branch, uh, all right, I'll keep going. The branch cannot bear fruit by itself. He's this delivery system. And then at the end, not only does he do what the father's commanded him, what does he do? Ask whatever you wish. What does the son say to you? So, tell me what you want. Tell me what you want me to do, please. I'm ready. This is obsequious. This is servile. This is humble. Praise him. <laughs> what else are you going to do with this? When the God of eternity has decided to wash your feet and maybe your clothes and help you take the trash out and be responsible for everything you are. He takes not only the attitude, but the activities of a servant. 
I know one sense the sermon's over there for me. I, I think this is so beautiful. This is what I was made make fun of. Everybody's making fun of me because I'm starting to look more corporate here. And uh, so in order to, to, to take away the corporate feel, because Tal did not want anybody to think that she was creating this for me. She didn't want to be blamed in any way. So I'm finding a different way to blame her. And, uh, and no, but seriously, uh, I kind of like the way this built. It kind of made sense to me. Because I want us to respond to the humility of God. We need to respond to the humility of God. How shall we respond to the humility of God? And this is where this message takes off to me. Because he's telling you, he already told you what to do. What are you supposed to do about the humility of God? At your feet, Peter, to do whatever needs doing for you, Peter. How shall you respond? What does he say? I want you to rejoice. <laughs> don't, you, don't, don't you get it? This is the point at which you're supposed to start getting kind of excited. Like this is the point at which you're supposed to be kind of thrilled. Like an exhilaration's happening. Because the God of God, who you know full well, John, you're not even permitted to look at in his holiness, has said what? Gee, John, is there anything you need? Can I help you? Is there anything you want? Is there anything you wish? Do you need cleaning? Do you, do you, do you need... And we are introduced, I think, to the joy of knowing him right here. We're, I mean, I'm going to encourage you, I want to invite you to invite Christ into your life in a deep way and rejoice because this God has made himself a servant to rescue you and me. What a sweet wonder. And now the joy of Christmas kind of starts to begin to creep back, doesn't it? Now it begins to pop back because what we have in Christmas is the unthinkable, the unimaginable. The eternal God of splendor gives all that up to save you and me and then gives it away. It's like something he gives. It's something he gives. It's something the Spirit... Oh, yes! And so it seems to me right away that, that you know, I, I sometimes worry or sometimes want... I was describing to Brad this, this week. Brad and I had a chance to get lunch. We were talking about our dads and I was talking about my dad. My dad became a Christian. One of the things that affected me most was just watching how he praised God. Because for him, the unimaginable had happened. You know, there was no way around it. And he would get up there and he would sing so lustily, it was, I was a little embarrassed. Like, oh my goodness. And he's kind of on key. And you're like, oh. I remember watching it. And I remember thinking, no, I want to be like that. Don't you want to be like that? Don't you see how there's an opportunity for joy to be released in your heart? By the humility of God, humble yourself to receive his humble love. Humble your heart to receive his grace and forgiveness in Jesus. Humble yourself before humility that's greater than the universe. Oh, what an amazing, and there's an opportunity right here. Who does this? Mary does it. Mary gets it right away. Mary looks at the scope of this. It doesn't make any sense. She's a teenage girl. She's pregnant. People are talking about her. And what are her and Elizabeth wind up doing when they get together? How could God have done this? It's amazing. They're caught up in the wonder. It doesn't, it, it's a riddle that once you unpack it, invites you into God's love and his tenderness and his presence, doesn't it? It invites you into all that he is because he's so humble with you <laughs> and humble for you and humble before you. Praise him.
You see, there's a secret here to a real joy if we would grasp it, if we would see it, and if we begin to appreciate it. Let's pray today for a birth of joy, right? Why not? Let's pray for a vision that the Holy Spirit gives us so we see it with thankful hearts now, rejoicing hearts in Him. And then, what it, so if you love me, you would have rejoiced. What's the next step? Relearn now. He has exalted those in a low position. That's what Mary said. He has brought down rulers. I remember my first church when I was in a black, it was in a black community, black church, and when the when the women would sing, those black women would sing. He has brought down rulers. I mean, the smile on their face. He has brought. He has sent the rich away empty. And what did they hear personally? God loves, and He loves, and He works through humble places and people who are everybody else would discard. And what do we need to do? We need to relearn what is valuable, what real power is. We need to relearn that bigger, better, faster, sexier is not holier. It's not more, that's not a clue that it's God's work. Those may happen, you know, bigger and better and flashier does happen in the kingdom when our father wants it to, but make no mistake, those are not clues that this is a place of God, are they? No, they're not. What we really need to do is relearn how we think, relearn how we think about ourselves. Because we look at our own situation, we feel like God's stripping us down. Anybody feeling stripped down sometimes? Kind of, yeah, it's reduced and things are being taken away from you. Your health, your, your family, your heart, your career. Uh, yeah. What's happening? My purpose is whatever it may be. And we think those scary places, the zero hour, the place of nothing, is so scary, isn't it? Relearn. Relearn. You know why? Because Jesus waits there for you. Because that's his place. Don't you get that? Don't be afraid to be dirt. He became dirt for your sake. It's fine. Relearn. Unlearn what the world has told you and lied to you about. Unlearn all that. Unlearn all those strategies and don't trust them anymore. Relearn Mary's lessons. Relearn Gideon's joy. Actually, you want to go out there? You know, like, you know, you don't want this ball, but there's a great hero in the Old Testament named Gideon. And you know how God set him up for victory? He took away all his power. <laughs> That's how he set him up for victory. Praise him. Maybe he's doing that with first press. I don't care. Let him be God. Let him be God. And if he will humble us, we will praise him. Amen? Amen. I want to relearn this. Relearn and unlearn the traps and the lies of Success as our main goal. That's, there's nothing there. Oh, the humble God invites you in. Third, what do we have to do is we have to learn to rely. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, who the Father will send in my name, he will teach you everything. He remind you of all that. And what, what is born here is that humble yourself, humble yourself to, to, in a way that stops looking for how you're going to fix yourself. Or... Humble yourself by relying again deeply on the Holy Spirit. If we don't become a Holy Spirit church, I don't know what hope there is for us. If, we, if each one of us does not become a people who are craving and, and looking to rely and realizing and understanding that we have no power apart from him, then until we do this, this reliance has... And I, wanna, I want you to hear it again. Some of you are like, Chris, okay, I've relied on him so many times. I went back again and again looking for help to, you know, and I failed over and over again. Go on in. He's a servant, remember? He's a servant. He, see, he has humbled himself. 
to forgive a thousand times. Praise Him. (laughs) Rely on Him now. Have you stopped relying on God because you figure, how could He write me another check? How could He save me again? Rely on Him. Rely on a constant mercy. Fourth, reassure yourself. You see this right here? This whoever? It's whoever. Did you catch that? Whoever gets much fruit. You know what that means? That means it's whoever. Whoever's connected to God in his humility adorns the prayers of children. You know, I was telling you this last week, Luke. Luke, I was telling Luke this because remember what it says about Luke. It says about your children and the children of this church. It says, Christ said it, their angels always see my father's face. What the heck does that mean? It means they have constant, unrivaled, perpetual access to the throne. And so do you. Be a child of God. Be childlike now. And, and reassure yourself that whoever, losers, rejects, people who failed a thousand times, people who have no power, people who are weak in their minds, weak at heart, depressed, doesn't matter. That, that's a Whoever. It means anybody who abides in Jesus gets this. It means much fruit doesn't depend upon me. It depends upon who I'm in. You get this? It doesn't, much fruit doesn't depend on you. It depends on you being in Jesus and humbling yourself before his humble, humble love. <laughs> reassure yourself of this and reassure and stand in reassurance today. And, fi- and, uh, I, and finally, replay. All right, so that goes back to Philippians 2. And there's a, there's a picture here. You know, one of the things that I remember I talked to, this is the attitude of God, and these are the actions of God. This is the attitude of God emptying himself. These are the activities, the actions of God humbling himself and serving others. What am I calling you to do? You need to replay what God is doing in your own life for others. Yeah. By your attitude? That you're somebody who is willing. So look, you know, look, there's no way, there's no easier way to then get out of volunteer work in your church than to just kind of have a crisp, kind of frosty little attitude about you, right? And then the volunteer people just kind of afraid to ask you. Anybody been doing that? Anybody been doing Mike, you should stop doing that because I, I think, <laughs> not just kidding. But uh, what we do, we just kind of, we, 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 we don't ever say we're not available. We just make it clear we're not available, right? <laughs> Because there's nothing emptied about us. Our attitude isn't emptied in the servants. Our attitude is not portrayed. And by the way, your attitude says, I'm available. I'm here for you. What do you need? And people can pick up on it right away. Whether this is an irritation to you and an inconvenience. <laughs> Far be it from us if we love each other and serve each other humbly that we would ever make people feel like that. And, I, and this is an attitude that should be in us that was in Christ Jesus, isn't it? <laughs> Yes, yes, let's get in this, let's get on this. Let's get his attitude of emptying. Ooh, emptying's kind of a kind of a pregnant word, isn't it? You know, empty, uh, have any of you emptied your calendar or your or your or your accounts for anybody else here? Like emptying. Emptying's giving up something. I mean giving up something. That's you. What do we tend to do in the church? We tend to do in this life. You tend to do what I do, which is what? Protect it. I want to protect. If I give away too much of who I am, I might lose who I am. 
Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever felt if you give away too much of yourself, you might lose yourself? I know that feeling. Why don't you trust Jesus on this one? Trust the Spirit. Do all these other things we've been talking about, relearning re- and re- re- relying. And uh, yes, yes. But then it's, how about actions? What does it look like to have these actions of seeking to clean each other, seeking to serve each other, seeking to be there for present for one another? And the servant attitude that sacrifices and the sacrifices will always be shown how much Simon loves Rena or how much Peter loves Adele or how much we love each other will ultimately can be recorded. I called you Adele. I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry. What's the matter with me? Sorry, Nellie. Uh, but um, the picture of service there will register in your calendar and it will register in your checkbook. How you really care for us. Those are those just tangible pieces. And, because, and I want it to be this practical because I want us to be, I want these actions and these attitudes and, these, and, these, and this emptying that I'm calling you to right now for me and me for you, that it would be, Born out of rejoicing. I want to come right back to where the foundation is what? Rejoicing. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Do you see that now? This is the joy of the Lord is our strength. Because when we have the joy of the Lord, it means we reached in to his cosmic and eternal love. And we realized it was for us. And that a God humbled himself to love us. And once we got that rejoicing in us. Once we got that in us, you know, actually, we know what I think really happens when the Spirit's here as a helper and teacher. You know what happens? This is what I pray happens. We say to Simon, hey, Simon, you need to stop giving. We need to hold each other. Whoa, whoa, wait a second. Don't get too much. <laughs> and, and, and what's released is something. It's re- you know what's released? What we pray every week in the offering. That's released in the world. The joy of the Lord becomes the power of the church, doesn't it? When we realize and rejoice in the humility and emulate and receive the humble love of our God. (laughs) Praise him with highest praise. Let's pray. I love you, Father. I love you because you you chased me and my family when when we were running away. Because you reached in space and time out of your glory to say, I will, I will save the least and the last. And I want to praise you for that. And Father, give us eyes and hearts for the least and the last among us. And Father, when we're least and last, give us courage in Jesus. <laughs> Holy Spirit, helper, come now and teach these truths to us tomorrow. Help us to remember them on Tuesday. Help us to relearn and to, re- and to rely and to renew our hearts in you. To, uh, and to, to re- replay this over and over as, as, a, as, a new, as, as now uh, we're becoming a humble people who have thought it. I, I don't, oh, Father. We pray for this grace and this work of the Holy Spirit. And we praise you right this moment that your son, your son humbled himself even before you <laughs> to save us. Praise him. And I, and I thank you that in his humility, I praise him now that, that he, is in, he is enthroned. And I praise you, Father. I praise you, Son. I praise you, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.
On the night our Savior was betrayed, he took bread and broke it. And he said, now, who breaks bread at the table? He's acting like a servant. You get it? He's like, well, let 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 me prepare the meal for you. And that's a picture of the cross, isn't it? You didn't save yourself. He saved you, right? He is your servant. Praise him. What a glory there is in Jesus and our God that he is known and we know him by his humility. Isn't that wonderful? We tread his humility here. We tread his humility that he would make this so available, so real, and so humble. This is a pretty humble image, guys, isn't it? These are humble images that breathe the humble love of God. So uh, he said, this is my body, which is given for you. Take and eat. In the same way, after, after dinner, he poured a cup of wine saying, this is my blood shed for the forgiveness of sins and take and drink. Do this and remember me. And by the way, the clue there is get the Holy Spirit, right? The Holy Spirit brings what? Remembrance in this table by power, with power, by faith. Oh, it's exciting. Now, um, I invite you to, to know Jesus Christ. Now, uh, if you know Christ, this is your table. Now, now and if you're a sinner, uh, that's your table. Uh, let, me, let me put up a barrier or a wall, as it were, and forbid those who, whose hope is in themselves, right? If you're a good person, I have the worst news for you. Good people don't have a hope before a holy God because there's no humility in it, right? And it doesn't humble itself before God's humble love. Can you see how, can you see how outrageous it is, is if you try to be a good person for God? Because you're no longer humbling yourself before his humility, You see why he takes it so personally? (laughs) Anyway, uh, good people are not, that's not why you can get to this table. You get to this table as a sinner who believes in Jesus. Now, some of you, some of you perhaps need to put your faith in Jesus. Well, that's an act by which you cry out for the humble God to forgive you your sin and trust in him alone. Don't be afraid to do that because God has humbled himself in love to offer himself to you. Praise him. If you're a skeptic today and the humility of God, I don't know what you as a skeptic would do with the humility of God. Isn't that a, it's such a bizarre concept even? Because it, I think it breaks the universe. <laughs> so I get why it's so hard to understand. It breaks the universe. Yes, it does. Because Jesus Christ rose from the dead. <laughs> All right. So um, that's it, right? Yeah. Let's stand. Uh, um, where did I put my glasses? Oh, thank you. Thank you. Um, will you proclaim to me the mystery of faith? Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ will come again. Praise him. Tell me, Christian brother and sister, what do you believe? I believe in God, the Father Almighty maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. On the third day, he rose again from the dead, and he ascended into heaven, and he is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the body, and the life everlasting. Amen.
For further information, please feel free to check us out at firstpresbyteriansf.org or come and worship with us on Sunday mornings at 1015. We meet at 110 Embarcadero, just a block away from the Ferry Building, and we can't wait to see you.